Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. Meanwhile, at Seaside Plumbing, Lauren is teasing Josh about a joke gone wrong. Josh, why does your office door sign say that? What do you mean, Lauren? My door has my name on it. That's not your name, Josh. One of the plumbers put it up. They heard the story. You remember, don't you? I remember having to call the phone company to get them to change the caller ID for Seaside. Didn't think they took me seriously. It was a joke. So when you set up the business line for Seaside Plumbing, you thought it would be funny. Still makes me laugh. To tell the phone company that your alias was... Big Daddy Josh Martin. Do you know how long it took me to get Big Daddy out of the phone book listing? I remember. Thank you, Lauren. Seaside Plumbing, also known as Big Daddy Josh Martin. Okay, kind of funny now. I still regret not holding on to one of those old phone books. Seaside Plumbing has changed a lot in the last 20 years. But some things are still the same. I'm not calling you Big Daddy. In a sea of ordinary, choose extraordinary. Visit SeasidePlumbingInc.com. Licensed in Delaware and Maryland. Welcome back to the Empire Builders Podcast. Dave Young here alongside Stephen Semple. Uh, we're business consultants and we, we do uh, storytelling. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> you heard all that, right? Can we, can we do that as, uh, as spoken? Uh, so as, as we do here, Stephen just whispered the name of uh, today's subject into my uh, headphone through the other end of, of the internet. Like I'm familiar with it to an extent to the extent that I've drank it. Huh, that's uh, a good start. <laughs> yeah. So now we've narrowed it down to a liquid. <laughs> now we've narrowed it down to a liquid. It's Maker's Mark Whiskey. I, I know that they've got an interesting brand story, and I've heard, I've probably heard a, a few bits of it here and there in, in, in the whiskey world that we're both uh, a part of. But uh, I'm anxious to learn what you've learned and uh, hear the rest of the story. Well, it's it's a really interesting story because Maker's Mark goes back a long ways. T.W. Samuel and Robert Samuels made whiskey for George Washington. Oh, no kidding. All right. Way back there. And then the family moved to Kentucky to start a distillery. And this distillery was passed down over the generations. And then a lot of the American whiskey history impacted by Prohibition because along comes Prohibition and the distillery is shut down. Right. And when Prohibition is repealed, Leslie and his son, who are now fourth you know, generation, want to start it up again. But starting up a whiskey distillery is hard because there's a long lead time. Like It's not like I make whiskey and suddenly there's whiskey. It's I make whiskey, I put it in a barrel, it's got to age a bunch of years, and then I have... Oh, yeah. Then I have whiskey. Oh, what, what was their last name? Samuels. Okay, so th that explains the logo on the bottle. It's their maker's mark, and it's it's the letter S with a circle and a star, and then I V. Right. So, right. which is fourth generation, right? Fourth generation. That just all made sense to me. Okay, yeah. I'm back on board. Promise I won't interrupt you until the next rapid. Until the next, until the next thought <laughs> happens. <laughs> I won't interrupt you again until I do. So the the other challenge that was also happening during Prohibition is tastes had also changed, and bourbon 
at this time was seen as a very lowbrow alcohol. Consumers' taste for bourbon was absolutely fading. And look, a lot of it is is because a lot of the you know the bourbon that was being made was was quite frankly pretty crappy. So Bill wanted to do something different than they had did before, something smoother. But the father mm-hmm. Leslie didn't want to change anything. You know, like this was the family history, and and Leslie prevailed. So they were you know making the bourbon the way they had been doing for you know, over a hundred years. And then they're just getting things going again, and World War II breaks out. And shortages grind everything to a halt. And they need to switch production to industrial alcohol, and there's hardly any money in that. So Leslie, the father, dies. It's 1943. Bill's on his own. Company's 99 years old, and he shuts down the distillery, and he sells everything to a New York conglomerate along with the family name. Mm. So okay. this is the reason why when it restarted, it did not restart in the family name. He sold he sold the family name. Joins the Navy. He goes and does a bunch of things, selling lumber, does a whole pile of things. And as legend goes, he's moping around, not liking what's happening in the whiskey business. And his wife kicks him in the ass and says, you need to go start making some whiskey. Oh, right? What a sweetheart. Go make some whiskey. So here he is. Here he is, this multi-generational distiller. He held on to the old recipe, so he still uh-huh. had it as a starting point. And by this time, there's very few independent whiskey distillers left. Like, it's amazing when we look at how many little independents there are today. At this point, in the 50s, there's hardly any. Yeah. And the bourbon industry, quite frankly, is on life support. Imports of Irish and Scotch whiskey have tripled Canada Seagram's is 20% of the U.S. market. It's the largest Mm. in the world. And to do something new, as we know, Dave, you got to make the mash, you got to distill the whiskey, and then Mm -hmm. you got to wait six years for the flavor to happen. It's got to sit in the barrels. Yeah. So how do you test recipes? Well, Marjorie, Bill's wife, has a degree in chemistry. And they know they want to make something that stands out. But here's the idea she comes up with. Bake loaves of bread to see how the grains and the flavor is going to be. Mm. So they start baking bread and tasting the bread as a quick way to test how is the whiskey going to taste. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So they literally test over 150 loaves of bread, all sorts of different combinations. And one of the things that they decide to do is take out the rye. Okay. Right, because rye gives that spicy kick, and they use wheat instead, uh-huh. which okay. is sort of not normal. But as we know, still fits bourbon. As long as you're 51% corn, you make the standard for bourbon. Right. So when they finally have it the way that they like it, they start distilling. And Bill invests $35,000 to buy Burke's Distillery in Loretto, Kentucky. Okay. So they need to look at the bottling. They want something that stands out. And at the time... All the bottles looked the same. All the bottles were a picture of an old man, and Uh the names were old whatever. Yep, old so-and-so. Old (laughs) so-and-so. They believed that the drinkers would not buy unless it was premium. Because again, remember, the bourbon market was dying. It was seen as lowbrow, and they felt that there was an opportunity to make a premium bourbon, but it had to be packaged-looking premium. So what was a signal you could put? So they wanted to signal high-end artisan. So she hand-dipped 
the bottles in the melted red wax. Yeah. As you see in Maker's Mark. Brilliant idea. And she was also a collector of pewter. And what she noticed was collectible pewter has a mark on it. When you Mm -hmm. look at pewter, there's a mark. So she creates a seal that looks like a mark. It's a maker's mark. You see it in pewter. You see it in porcelain. You see it in fine furniture, right? It's often like in furniture. It's usually a little brand that's that's right. seared into, into wood. Things like that, yeah. And made the name Maker's Mark. Yeah. Couldn't use the family name. So when they released, most bourbons sold for $4, and they priced Maker's Mark at 7 bucks. Yeah. Big premium. Like that's a very bold move in a shrinking dying marketplace and at first sales are slow to start it's a challenge you know it's hard selling things at premium prices especially when you look at whiskey you know a big barrier is sampling like Mm -hmm. i find it myself i go in to buy a bottle of whiskey and you look at it and go oh geez do i really wanna do i wanna really commit to a bottle it's kind of like boy it would be nice to be nice to try something yeah, absolutely. And and um, in, the, in the last four or five years with people doing tastings and all kinds of things, that's become a little bit easier, right? You can always find a few people that you can you can get to taste something with you. Like, yeah, you, you'd have to commit to buying that bottle that's sitting on the shelf that looks different than all the other bottles. It's got this red wax dripping off the neck. And, and there's something a little enticing about that, right? It gets, it gets your attention anyway. It does get your attention, but it's also twice the price. There's a little bit of barrier. So it's the late 50s, early 60s which is the golden age of travel. Like if you remember in those days, people dressed up to travel. Just take a look at old travel pictures and people got dressed up to fly on a plane. So it's 1961 and they get Maker's Mark to be served on some commercial flights, which does a couple of things. Not only does it create exposure, but because travel at that time is glamorous, there's the halo effect of that. So there's the sampling, there's the exposure, but the halo effect of it being served in this glamorous environment. And it gets tried. And someone from the Wall Street Journal tries it and writes it up. Oh, wow. Okay. And the phone blows up. So much so that they actually take out an advertisement in the Wall Street Journal talking about how they are running low. Please be patient. We'll get this to you when we can. We've got to make it and put it in a barrel. (laughs) But here's what's brilliant about that. They just told the world it's in demand. It's rare. We're sold out. This is so clever. It made me think of, go back to episode 55, Uncle Nearest, when they started to run out of whiskey in one of their like in the early stages they actually increased their advertising because they wanted people going to the store asking for the whiskey and finding out it's out of stock mm-hmm. and creating that buzz of oh my god this is really hard to get your hands on this is rare this is wanted this is desired it's amazing how often we have customers that when they sell out they go stop the ads these guys sold out and started the ads yeah Brilliant. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. Nice one. Thanks. We should do this more often, man. I wish we could. And why can't we? It's my business. What about it? Thought everything was good. It was. Do I hear a but in there? Sales have started to flatten and we're down over last year. Oh. Can't figure it out. Tried a bunch of stuff. 
Putting in more time doesn't seem to make a difference. Yikes. It's frustrating. Have you spoken to Steven? Who? The host from the podcast we just interrupted? No. Why not? I thought you were trying stuff. I am, but what's Steven going to do? He'll work with you for free. You mean that starter session thing? Yep. I don't know. What do you have to lose? Not much, I guess. So, you gonna book one? Yeah, why not? Where do I do it again? I think you can do it right from this podcast. Cool, thanks. You bet. We really should do this more often. Golf more or interrupt this podcast? Over to you, Dave. Book your starter session on this podcast's website. Just visit theempirebuilderspodcast.com and click on Get Started. Let's pick up our story where we left off, and trust me, you haven't missed a thing. This is not related to Maker's Mark, but you and I have both, at different times in our lives, been members of, of networking organizations like BNI. Mm-hmm. You see it over and over again, the same thing, right? Somebody joins BNI because they don't have enough business, so they do some networking, and they start getting referrals from people, and now they're all of a sudden busier than they've ever been, and they drop their membership because they can't handle all the business they're getting it's like you got to figure out something else you got to grow this business right yeah this is like shutting the engines of an airplane off once you've reached altitude and what these guys is is actually put jet fuel in right yeah it's like oh now it's time to kick on the, the the real engine so by 1922 did i just say 1922 i meant 2022 maker's mark becomes the best-selling bourbon in America. It also been attributed with reviving the bourbon industry. And the other thing that's great, Marjorie, who, you know, had a lot of the great ideas on this. She was the first woman inducted into the bourbon hall of fame. So she got great recognition for her contribution to Maker's Mark, which is, which is awesome. But the thing I thought that was really interesting was they knew there was a challenge with the price being higher. So they knew they needed to package it in that fancy manner. And so they looked yeah. you know, to the pewter and porcelain and all those other things. But on top of that, they knew they wanted to get sampling, but not just any sampling. Because remember, the challenge was they're a high price and bourbon is seeing lowbrow. They tapped into that halo effect of the airline industry. But my favorite thing, my favorite thing was when they sold out running an ad basically saying, we've been sold out, please be patient with us. Which what you know is, that just made the phone ring more. Oh yeah, yeah. But was absolutely brilliant because it created and it reinforced future demand. And I just thought that that was so smart. You see that in, in a number of industries. Like, like that, that's basically the Tesla model in, in some ways, right? It's like, oh, you can't just go buy one. And I don't know what it is, what it's like now. Do they have car lots full of Teslas or do you still have to get your name on a list and put a down payment on. And I don't know. I haven't bought one yet. Yeah. If, if you can't tell, but <laughs> yeah, I know that, no. I know that in the early days, uh, especially, yeah, it's like, Oh, I, I don't get mine till February of next year, but I can't wait. Right. Yeah. And as I said, there's this big hesitation that when you sell out and things like that to turn the marketing off. And in fact, you should, you know, like uncle Nears and these guys, you should keep that marketing going, put the foot on the pedal and tell the world, no, you know what? Because the thing is, you're, you're now saying everyone else wants me. Mm -hmm. After they did the sampling, got on airlines, uh, I don't know when it began, but I think their, their uh, line is, um, it tastes expensive because it is. That is their line. And I think that was their line right from the beginning. Um, but yeah. I'm not entirely sure. But yes, yes, they really leaned into the whole thing of, 
of owning the high end of the market. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, if you compare to to some of the whiskey prices you see today, like seven bucks over four bucks, or three and a half, not that big of a difference. Prices have gone up tenfold for for most decent yeah. brands. They're middle ground, I think. If I'm not too far off the maker's mark. Today they are, but when they came out, they set the new high end. Yeah. And then the just explosion of craft distilleries. The, the thing about it is you can't operate a big brand like this now. And you, you have to consider Maker's Mark now a big, major... Best-selling bourbon yeah. in America. Yeah. Right. And so they're not going to experiment other than with special releases. They're not, you know, they're not going to change this to mess with any flavor profiles. It gives other craft distilleries lots of room to dance around the fringes and come up with stuff that's all kinds of unique. They are contributed with turning around and saving the bourbon industry. It also takes a lot of guts. You're in a space that is considered lowbrow. You're in a space that's dying off. You're in a space where there's fewer and fewer. Think about all of those things. And then you come out and go, here's what we're going to do. We're going to release a bottle that's almost twice the price. That is bold. And to have the vision to... Just lean hard on it. Yes. Right. To say, okay, well, yeah, we're we're gonna do a bottle that's more expensive. We're gonna, the, you know, red wax. I mean, it's it's pretty, but it's not free, right? It, there's yeah. an expense to hand dipping every bottle in in red wax. That's not a machine process. So, yeah. it's such a good story in positioning and shooting for that that little edge of glamour and exclusivity. Just about any business could take something from that and go, okay, what do we do? How do we look? How do we act to make ourselves distinct, to make ourselves stand out? You may not have, like we've talked about the the old uh, uh, unique selling proposition stuff. I'm like there's really not a unique selling proposition there. But what you, you think about what you can do to make yourself stand out. Yes. I don't consider the red, the price, all of that to be a unique selling proposition. It's here's what we did to be noticed and to be remarked upon as, oh, well, I wonder what all the fuss is about. Yes. I think I'll try it. I'm on an airplane and I see them handing it out to other folks that, that are, are fancy like me, and maybe I'll try it on my next flight. Yeah. And they also looked outside their industry. The inspiration for the maker's mark came from her pewter collection. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so often we talk about to innovate don't look around your industry. Don't look around your area. Look outside. And then they brought that idea across. And I actually think that the bottles are still hand-dipped, not machine-dipped. I think that's right, but I'm not completely sure. I like I recall seeing videos of people like in, in their early days, maybe even as little as, as 10 or 12 years ago. They would have basically customers and fans come in and you could hand-dip a bottle and keep it, but you would be helping with their production runs. <laughs> right. That's kind of cool. That may be part of their experience at their distillery yet today. I'm not sure. I haven't been, but I have seen videos of people dipping their own, you know, at the factory, committing to buying a bottle of Maker's Mark and then hand dipping it into some wax themselves. That's cool. Right. So That's now you cool. take that home and it's like, yeah, you may not ever open that bottle because you hand dipped it. Right? Yeah, so you now you've got to buy two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly right. Or you put that one on the mantle. If you're going to drink Maker's Mark, you go down to the liquor store and you just keep buying it from there, right? That's exactly what you would do. This works really well for the brand. It really does. It really does. (laughs) Here's the other part that I really like. I also really like that Marjorie 
you know, who was an inspiration in a lot of these things, got the recognition because so often women don't in terms of being inducted into the Bourbon Hall of Fame. So mm-hmm. I was really happy when I when I saw that. Can I put in a little uh, a little plug for, sure. for whiskey? Next time you're in Austin, Texas, as, as you may or may not know, in, in previous episodes, Stephen and I have talked about whether, uh, we've talked about the fact that we're both whiskey sommeliers from the Whiskey Marketing School. And one of the things we have here in Austin, Texas is the Whiskey Vault, where we've got 3,000 bottles of whiskey, including a bottle of Maker's Mark. I'm pretty sure it's in there. <laughs> and uh, as you mentioned earlier in the episode, Stephen, if you, if you ever just want to have a taste of something, because you're not sure, right, that Whiskey Vault is actually the, the reference library for our whiskey sommeliers. Uh, so you and I can just wander in there and, and have a sip of Maker's Mark and see if we like it better than old so-and-so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so that's always fun. And if listeners ever want to see that vault, get in touch with me. We'll figure out, uh, we'll figure out how to make that happen. We do, we do little mini educational events all the time in there. And so uh, we, we could arrange that for you if you're ever in Austin, Texas. So do you want to share it. your email address? Dave Young at wizardofads.com is fine or Dave Young at wizardacademy.org. Either one okay. of those. So if they're in Austin, they can reach out to you and yes. taste a little Maker's Mark. And I also know there's some Uncle Nearest in there too. So. There is some Uncle Nearest in there. Um, and and a lot of people bring an offering when they come. Like they'll bring a bottle of something that they know we maybe probably don't have. Although with 3,000 bottles, we've got a lot. But there's, man, there's so much going on in craft distilling these days that uh, it's hard to keep up, even yeah. at 3,000 bottles. Well, thank you for that offer, Dave. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what a great story. Thank you for sharing that uh, here on, on the Empire Builders. Maker's Mark. And it, it explained the Maker's Mark. It all makes sense now when you look at the bottle. It's like, oh, there's the mark. There's the wax. Let me have a taste. And why it's an S. Uh-huh. All right. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Please share us. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big, fat, juicy five-star rating and review. And if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode, email to questions at the Empire Builders Podcast.com. <laughs>